Kia ora, tēnā koutou katoa. Welcome to Airman's Podcast, episode 358. Today is Saturday, October 9th, 2021. I'd actually recorded a full episode yesterday, and I had it nearly completely edited. But I thought, no, I'll stop for a little while, go have some dinner, and then watch the evening news and come back finish it after that. But then I saw a news bulletin that said the government was holding an unscheduled press conference at 6.30, which in this COVID age is never a good thing. And as it turns out, I was right. And it did relate to what I'd already talked about. So it only made sense to come back and redo this episode and talk about all of it at once. So the next week I'm free to talk about whatever. And I can't tell you how anxious I am to stop talking about COVID all the time and to not have to to talk about it so much when I do talk about it. But it is the biggest thing going on in New Zealand right now and the biggest thing affecting my life. And so there really isn't a whole lot of options, really, unless I just ignore it. And that seems seems silly because that's what so many people are already doing. What happened is that last week, a woman went to Northland and traveled around with another woman and she turned a positive test result. And the the problem is that she went to Northland on falsified documents. She had obtained a travel, travel permission from the government by supplying false information, which, it, by the way, is a crime. And by the time they realized it was false and canceled the permission, she was already in Northland. And the problem is that we don't know precisely why she was there, and we certainly don't know where she's been because she's been completely uncooperative with authorities. And her travel partner has disappeared, and police are searching for her. And she's believed to be COVID positive wherever she is. And the issue here is it doesn't really matter why she was there, although there's speculation that she was up to, up to nefarious deeds, maybe not necessarily illegal, I should stress. And it's also been suggested that she was uh, either a gang member or affiliated with gangs. That's also not been established yet. But it doesn't really matter. Either way, because what she did was she committed a crime to do it in the first place, the f- submitting falsified information. And what's made it worse is that she's being uncooperative with authorities, and so they can't do contact tracing. They don't have a full list of where she, she and her travel partner had been, so it makes it really hard to work out where people might have been infected, or even if it's possible, if innocent people had been become infected by them. So the the whole process left no alternative, really, other than to go to level three lockdown in Northland and hopefully to, to stop the spread. Because Northland is an incredibly vulnerable part of New Zealand. It's, it's uh, incredibly poor. It, it has a high concentration of Māori who, as I've said many times, figured all the wrong ends of statistics, like health statistics, for example, um, usually from lack of access more than anything. And so the, the people are ripe for the picking by COVID and Delta in particular. And so the, these, these women um, brought COVID to Northland and have helped spread it. We just don't know how far. And the only logical alternative was to go to level three. And that also happened to the Waikato uh, on Sunday of this past week, 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, the Waikato, parts of the Waikato moved to level three lockdown. And the reason for that is because two gentlemen who are gang members were identified, they tested positive as having COVID. And one of them 
had gone into Auckland illegally, did something or other there, we presume, caught COVID, and then brought it back into the Waikato by crossing the border illegally. It's illegal to go into Auckland. It's illegal to come out of Auckland without official documentation. And it obviously shouldn't be the documentation permission shouldn't be based on falsified information like the the women had or the woman had. So there's speculation about what precisely he was doing in Auckland. Being a gang member, it very well could have been something illegal. But again, it doesn't really matter because he committed two crimes, going into Auckland and coming out of Auckland. They, on the other hand, unlike the women, have been very cooperative. They have cooperated, cooperated with health authorities to do contact tracing and location and identification of locations of interest, which means someplace that they were. And so far, everybody who's tested positive has been a close contact, like household members, for instance, and not members of the general community. So in, in that sense, so far, so good. And how, wh- however it is that they brought this into the Waikato, one of the important things about this is they have cooperated with authorities to draw a ring around it and get the outbreak stopped. I don't think that excuses them for bringing it into the white cat. I still think they should be prosecuted, but it, at least they did the right thing, unlike these two women. And um, there was another case in the in the white cat that I didn't talk about before, that was that resulted when a man who'd been in Mountain Eden Prison in Auckland was released in remand, which is kind of like bail, and sent to a specific address, which was in part of the Waikato near the Firth of Thames, it's the area is often called Upper Hauraki, although I don't know why, because I don't think that's an official name. <laughs> but it's just across the border from Auckland, and that shouldn't have happened. So in that particular case, it was the Department of Corrections made errors in their procedures. But that guy, too, did all the right things. He scanned everywhere he went with the COVID tracer app. He cooperated fully with, with health authorities and helped do contact tracing quickly. Although in that case, hardly anybody was actually affected. So it all worked out in the end. It worked out well. And uh, Waikato didn't have to go into level three lockdown, just that little area did, and only for a few days, which is kind of what we were hoping would happen for the rest of Waikato this time. That it would only take a few days. But then there were two new cases that sprung up in an area just south of this level three lockdown area. It's still part of the Waikato, most of it, and also some districts further south. But because they were new cases and they didn't know how far that had spread, what they did is they extended the level three lockdown area and extended it until uh, next week. Cabinet will meet on Monday and decide what to do. But right now, both the Waikato and so on, lockdown, level three lockdown, and Northland's level three lockdown will be reviewed on uh, Monday and may possibly expire at 11.59 p.m. on Tuesday. I personally think it's more likely that both will be extended, but we won't know that until next week. And there's no way of telling because it's not its not like they know and they're not saying. It'll depend on testing rates. It'll depend on how many more cases emerge, and we're still having quite a lot of cases. And it'll depend on vaccination rates even. And hopefully this, this will do as the original outbreak did in August. It'll spur people to get vaccinated. Because right now, 81% of the population has had one dose, which isn't enough. It won't fully protect people against illness. It it helps, but it's not full protection, obviously, and it makes them more likely to be infectious themselves. Only 53% of the population are fully vaccinated with two doses. And that's the one that's actually worrying. 
we have to get to 90% or more fully vaccinated in order to open up the country to ourselves, let alone to people overseas. And so the issue is that it's going to be hard to get there. There, obviously, we're going to get to 80% fully vaccinated because over 80, 81% is, has had one jab already. So we will get there. But that last 20% is going to be really hard. And it's not because of anti-vax people or, or what have you as much. I really don't think that there's more than a teeny tiny percentage of New Zealanders who are legitimately anti-vax. There's some people who are spouting anti-vax stuff just because they're scared or, or don't understand or, or things like that. But they can be won over, unlike these hardcore nut jobs who can't be. So we'll, we might be able to get to 90%, but much beyond that, it's going to be really difficult. So the government's trying some different things to get us there. They're having Super Saturday um, a week from today to encourage vaccination, or and especially second jabs, but first jabs even. The more, <laughs> the more jabs in arms, the better. And they're hoping it'll be a massive turnout. And the government has also reduced the time between first and second jabs from six weeks down to three weeks, which is what it was at the time I got my second jab. And I think that's a really good thing. The idea is they want to get as many people as uh, fully vaccinated as quickly as possible. And that will be necessary in order for us to avoid any future lockdowns. But the government is also trying some carrot things as well with a stick attached. The, the uh, government has decided that large public events like music festivals, which we have every summer here in New Zealand, can only be attended by people who are fully vaccinated. In order for that to work, the government will be instituting vaccine passports, as they're calling them. Uh, not, they're calling vaccine certificates, sorry, not passports. And um, it's going to be based on, a, on an app that people can carry on their phone, which I believe will have a QR code that the venue can scan to verify vaccination status. But people who don't have computers or smartphones will be able to go to specific places to download a paper copy that they can take with them so they won't be excluded because they will be fully vaccinated after all, but it'll mean they won't be excluded. Now, I don't know all of the safeguards that are built in to make sure that people can't fake it and all that, but I know there will be safeguards built in. A lot of this, these details will come out next month when it's actually launched. But in the meantime, what's important is that anybody who wants to go to one of these big events, and ultimately that will include obviously indoor concerts because it's inside, but also um, sporting events like rugby or cricket or whatever. And so if people want to go to these mass events, they're going to have to be vaccinated. And that's a powerful incentive for some people. As a matter of fact, I saw this young guy on the news a couple nights ago who was getting his first jab in Whangarei in, in Northland, actually, and it's because of this case that was developing. And he said he was getting his jab because he wanted to go to music festivals this summer. So he, and he knew he needed to be fully vaccinated, so he was doing it. And, you know, I think that's awesome. I don't really care why people get vaccinated, just as long as they do. And if we get to that 90% vaccination levels, then we can start looking at opening up the country to people from outside. The government, as I, I think I said last time, the government has already announced that from November 1st, or November anyway, all people entering all non-citizens entering New Zealand will have to show proof of vaccination, full vaccination. And every country in the world is going to be doing that sooner or later as well. Air New Zealand is only allowing um, passengers on their international flights if they're fully vaccinated from February, I think it is. And so all of that kind of stuff is going to become common. 
the catch, though, is that if we want tourists, we can't expect them to stay in quarantine for two weeks. So that, that's where the full vax comes in, because if they're fully vaccinated, they're unlikely to bring in the virus with them. But if we are fully vaccinated, you know, up as a nation, like nine, better than 90%, then the odds of it getting loose are going to be really remote, and then we can start allowing tourists in again. But even more than that, I think what most New, New Zealanders want now is an end to these lockdowns, because... They're getting to be soul-destroying. Um, Auckland has this this phased de-escalating, or whatever they call it. Um, they're calling them steps. So steps on top of, of levels. Levels go down. Going down is good. But the steps going up is good. <laughs> it's just confusing as hell. But Auckland is still at alert level three, but step one, which means that they're allowed to have outdoor picnics with no more than 10 people from no more than two households at a time. You can have more than one pin- picnic a day but only with two households and a maximum of 10 people. And it must be outdoors. You can't do it inside. And if people come around your house for a barbecue, say, they can't go inside your house to use your toilet. So there was a thing on a program that's called Seven Sharp, which is a light infotainment program. And um, they were talking about a gardening expert about the best plants to pee on. <laughs> Turns out it doesn't really matter. As long as they're green, you can pee on them. Just probably not on the grass. And uh, you should carry a watering can and probably dilute it when you're done. But of course, that's, that works well for boys, not quite as well for girls. And um, so there were there's speculation about what they could do. And they said, and we won't even talk about number twos. So <laughs> I love New Zealand television. I really do. Anyway... That is where we are at, and that is the um, kind of unfortunate situation we find ourselves in now, thanks to people who typically think that the rules don't apply to them and the laws. I think there's some questions to be answered. We need to know why the the gang member was able to cross back and forth across the Auckland border. He was using rural roads, which were well known as ways that people could do that, and yet the police weren't patrolling them regularly. Now, it could be that it was a staffing issue, in which case they could call on the New Zealand Defence Force to back up the police at the checkpoints, the existing checkpoints, so that the other police personnel could be freed up to do these random patrols. And Because only uh, police can arrest civilians for civilian crimes. Army personnel can't do that. So that's one thing. Why why weren't those, ro- those roads patrolled more? Um, about the women who went to Northland, why did it take them so long to work out that the information supplied was false, and why did they issue the travel documents before they had verified that it was true? You know, these are the sorts of questions we want to know, but those are operational things where things fell apart. And one of the things I, I've said to, to people I know here all the time is that human beings are human. They will make mistakes. And that's, again, why the vaccination program is so important because it's inevitable that somebody somewhere will make a mistake that will accidentally let COVID in. That's probably, it could be how it got here in the first place, this, this outbreak. We don't know. We still don't know how precisely the, va- the virus, the Delta variant, got from Sydney to Auckland. We, we still don't know. But the thing is that sooner or later, somebody somewhere will m- make an accident, an accidental mistake, not something they did on purpose, and it will get loose. If we're fully vaccinated, and fully meaning better than 90%, then the the odds of us having a major break uh, outbreak again will be extremely remote. And that's what we're trying to get to. 
boy, oh boy, do I want lockdowns to end. I've had enough of this. <laughs> Meanwhile, there was something else I didn't talk about last time. Another reason why September was such a horrible month and another reason to think of it as a horrible month. Jake died last month and he had been getting increasingly frail, not frail, it's not the right word, but elderly, I guess, over the past, actually a few years. Even while Nigel was alive, we were starting to see evidence that he was getting arthritic and things like that. But over the past year or two, he, he's been slowly declining. And actually, I think he got a bit worse after Sonny died. Whether it's related or not, I don't know. It could be coincidental. But his last month, he was starting to struggle more with movement in particular. He couldn't jump up on furniture anymore. He got to the point where he would allow me to lift him up onto the bed to sleep at night. But he didn't really want me to do that on the sofa because he, he was a sensitive boy. And he I think he felt embarrassed. At least that's what Nigel would have said, that he was embarrassed. And um, I noticed one day that um, he was coughing a lot and was panting a lot as well. And I thought, well, this isn't right. So I rang up the vet to take him in and the vet diagnosed him with heart failure, which is actually what I suspected, and uh, gave him some prescriptions and also some antibiotics because at 14 years and five months, he was too old to have them do anything with his teeth and he, and he had tooth problems. And so that night I gave him his first dose of, of the antibiotics and the next morning, I was going to give him his first dose of the medicine. But uh, the next morning, I woke up, and he was panting. And um, he's lying on this. It's a blanket box, basically, at the foot of the bed. And Nigel and I actually originally put it in the there at the old house, the last house, to make it easier for Jake and Sonny to jump up, and even Leo, because he's so little. And um, so they always used it for that. And it also, it was a convenient place to sit down and put my shoes on. Anyway... He was lying on that, and he was panting and panting. and seemed uncomfortable. And so I, I got up because I had to go to lose about seven or something like that. And I had to, and I got up and I talked to him and petted him and told him I loved him and, and uh, it was okay. And he seemed to be calming down and relaxing a bit. And I went in into the ensuite, and then all of a sudden I realized it's really quiet out there. And I came running out, and he was gone, just like that. And... The thing is that if he had been able to choose such a thing, he would have chosen to die at home because he felt safe here, he felt loved here, he felt secure, uh, warm, comfortable, all those sorts of things. He, if, if he had known how, how dogs' lives ends, end, that's what he would have chosen. I know it. So because of that, I felt really at peace, more so than I have with any of the other fur babies because I didn't have to choose, I didn't have to make the decision for him I didn't have to take him away from his home to for the last time. He chose to exit on his own terms. And I'm glad for him that that's the way it worked out. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law came over to be with me, and then they drove Jake and me over to the pet crematorium to drop him off. And I brought his collar home and hung it on one of the knobs in my dresser right next to Sonny's. And... Uh, Right now, even now, Leo still sniffs them every day when he gets up in the morning, and occasionally in throughout the day, if he happens to go in there, he might sniff one or both of the collars. And I think that's how he deals with it. I, I don't really know enough about dog grief and how they process it and, and so on, but it seems to give him comfort. He, he gently wags his tail as he sniffs them, so you know, as long as it makes him happy, they can stay there 
those collars can stay there until they disintegrate for all I care. You know, as, as long as it does something for Leo, well, good enough. I told Leo that we're now the um, dynamic duo and the awesome twosome. Not that I think he got that, but what what affects me about that is is obviously Jake and Sonny were um, parts of my life for more than a decade. In, in Jake's case, 14 years. In Sonny's, I think it was 11 when she died. Um, so about 10 years for her too. Uh, it was about 10 years for her. And so it's a it's a big change. And coming only at that point, only a little over um, a year and a bit, year not even a year and a half after Nigel died, when Sonny died, that that was hard. And then Jake about six months later. So, you know, the the family I had two years ago, two and a bit years ago, is now down to just two of us. And I find that difficult. I find that really challenging to deal with. But it, as I so often say these days, it is what it is, which is just my way of saying there's absolutely nothing I can do that can change any of this. All I can do is adjust. And I have to say that, that it's impossible to look at Leo and not smile because he's, he just looks so happy all the time. And he cuddles up with me and he'll give me little licks to, to when he wants to be affectionate, he'll flop against me, which apparently is a dog's way of hugging us. And, um, yeah, so he's doing his bit for me as, as much as I'm trying to help him. And one last thing is I talked about um, my Macintosh project last time, I believe. I hope I did, because if not, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But I had to order some special screwdrivers for the thing because there are four screws to hold the back on, and I needed to get the back off so I could inspect inside to see if there is had been damage done to it inside and that that, that would render it um, irreparable. And what I was expecting to see was that the battery had exploded because that was quite common with machines, with Macintoshes of that vintage. And um, if that happened and it, it ruined the logic board, there was basically no hope. I mean, somebody who's really into electronics might be able to figure it out, but there's no way I ever could. So instead, um, so I couldn't do anything. I couldn't open up the case without a long-handled Torx screwdriver, which is not sold anywhere in New Zealand. I couldn't find it anywhere. I found some that might have worked, but they were like $50 each. And I'm like, uh, no. I, I bought a regular torque screwdriver for I think like four dollars or something at the hardware store and was able to take the screws off the back but that didn't help because I still had to get the two out from behind the handle which is where they were hiding and so I um I found a place in New Zealand that did sell them they imported them from the UK but they were out of stock so I had no alternative but to turn to Amazon to order them and so I ordered them and I think it was at the very end of September or something like that, and they were due to be delivered on Wednesday, October 6th, um, our time. And then I got a, a notice, or maybe it was on the tracking uh, page of Amazon itself, that said that there were operational delays and that it wouldn't... That, but it still should get here by the 11th, as if that was a good thing, being five days late. <laughs> so you know, I was resigned to the fact that these things were going to take forever to show up. Well, they arrived on Tuesday the 5th, so all of that about uh, operational delays and all that sort of stuff turned out to be for nothing. And so, <laughs> so Tuesday afternoon, I opened up the, the back of the Macintosh and the battery had not exploded, which is really good news. That means the logic board is intact. So there's some other reason why the machine isn't working. 
but I have to do a little more investigation on how to take it apart because I've got to discharge the cathode ray tube and I don't really know how to do that. And I don't really have the space to work on it right now anyway. So I've put that aside in the in the somewhat too hard basket. But at least I have the screwdriver now that I can I can open it whenever I want. <laughs> so that's progress, right? I think so. Well, that is everything that's going on in New Zealand at the moment, I think. And <laughs> that's it for this week and weekend. I'll talk to you sometime next week. Kakete o no. Bye. You can comment on this or any episode of the Airman's Podcast at airmanspodcast.com, where you can also leave a voice message. You can visit and comment on the Amarin's Facebook page, or you can email me with or without a voice message at amarin's at gmail.com. This podcast is a proud member of the Pride 48 Network and is produced and distributed under Creative Commons license. Complete details at the website. <laughs>